You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. And good morning, everybody. Trust you're having a great day and that you're seated next to some outstanding people. Yeah, some of you laughed a little too hard at that one. But anyway, we are in the middle of a series called Facing Cultural Headwinds, The Need for the Holy Spirit. And uh, I began this a couple weeks ago. This is the third message on this particular topic. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand for the reading of the Word. We're still looking at the same passage of Scripture as the initial part, and then we'll branch out into other Scriptures. But Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, let's read together. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray that your word would be revealed to us the way and with the intentions that you had. I pray, God, that we can set aside a personal agenda and say, Jesus, show us what you want. Help our minds to to absorb, help our hearts to receive and and to have a desire to practice what it is that your word calls us to do. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. You can be seated. So, We're in this series on the need for the Holy Spirit, and I kind of want to lay out where we'll be going. Today, I'll be addressing some things related to the Holy Spirit, but after today, some of the things that that I'll be addressing is, one, the speaking in tongues part. What is that? Is Is it for us today? If so, what's the purpose? I'll be looking at the spiritual gifts that... Primarily, Paul is the one who makes uh, the long list and descriptions of these kinds of things. And again, what are those used for? How do we receive those? What are the purposes? So we'll be unveiling and, and going through these today. But today I need to set the stage for those kinds of things. And I'm just going to kind of give you a heads up. Today is a day when I need to tell you, we're probably going to go really deep on some stuff today. Okay. Um, now, some of you would go, well, aren't you that way always? 
Well, yeah, but we're even going deeper than that. And so I, I've slowed this way down. I'm not going to cover near as much as I typically would cover because the goal here is for people to learn and to grow and develop. It's not my intent, like I said, I never want to come across as I'm going to bash you into thinking the way that I do. I'm going to intimidate you. I'm going to make you uh, feel inadequate. You better come on. No, none of that. That's not how people learn. That's not how people put things into practice. We are, listen, we're one of the most educated societies that has ever been on planet Earth. And as a result, that means that we have to be more respectful. Because how many know people can't think? I know sometimes, but don't you hate it when somebody treats you in a way like you can't think? Sometimes I'm standing there and they're talking and I'm going, I'm not hearing a word that you're saying because you started off with like, I can't think. And I'm still stuck there. <laughs> so let me begin to unpack this a little deeper and a little broader for you today. So how do we overcome this diversity of opinions on the Holy Spirit and come into unity? I mean, it's... We, we, when, it comes to, when it comes to God the Father, the Christians as a whole, we're all on the same page. When it comes to Jesus, Christians as a whole, we're pretty much on the same page. You come to the Holy Spirit, and man, I mean, it is all over the place in opinions. And of course, everybody's got their favorite author, their favorite commentary, their favorite speaker, how they were raised, their former pastor, all these kinds. I mean, everybody's got somebody to quote, to give authority to how they are perceiving things right now. And so... What I want you to see something, first of all, is this topic of, of this unity. Because what I would say is this, is it, could it be that it's our fractioning around the Holy Spirit that is hindering the effectiveness of the church in Western society? I mean, we're trying to make an impact. I don't think anybody here would say, wow, we've really turned the, cult, we've turned the corner in America. Culture is better today than it was 20 years ago. I don't think anybody would make that statement. We would all say the momentum's headed the wrong direction, that the momentum is negative, and we're like, right now we just need to like get a pause so we can pivot, so we can start going the right direction, okay? So let's look at a couple scriptures. John chapter 17, verses 22 through 23. Jesus said this, okay? This is what he prayed. Uh, we have recorded in the Gospel of John some of the things that Jesus prayed, and this is one of those, and he says, I have given them the glory that you gave me. These are the disciples he's talking about, that they may be one as we are one. Let me pause there. Jesus is saying, I want them to be one the way that you and I are one, Father. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty high bar. <laughs> then it says, I and them... <clears throat> And you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Notice it doesn't say unity, it says complete unity. Again, high bar. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So what you discover here is this. God's word reveals here, Jesus said, it is our unity that makes the impact. That probably explains a lot of why things aren't going well. Because we're, we're so fractioned, fractioned in certain groups and camps as we address society. And so the world looks at us and goes, you guys can't even agree on what your Bible says and you're out here trying to tell us what culture ought to be. And you can't even agree on, what the, on, the, on the interpretation of the book that you all quote. Wow. Maybe the world has something to teach us. Like, okay, maybe we need to have these hard conversations, uncomfortable conversations about what we believe 
and stop, stop with an agenda, stop with the authors and just say, look, let's go to the scripture. Can we start there and can we stay there and can we find out where it is that we need to change, grow, develop? By the way, it's not the only time this, this issue of unity comes up. You come into uh, the Apostle Paul and what he said in Ephesians 4, 3, make every e effort to keep the unity of the what? Spirit. Unity of the Spirit. Wow, where do you think they were having some disagreements? <laughs> unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So in other words, we don't use the Holy Spirit to stir up conflict. It's supposed to bring peace. So that means we don't walk in with the idea that I'm going to cause a disturbance. I'm there to bring peace. The, 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 the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to take something that's chaotic and create an environment of peace. Colossians 3, 14, and over all these virtues put on love. Oh, so I'm supposed to have the attitude of love. I'm not supposed to go in with the attitude, I know something that you don't know, and let me bang, bang your head with it until you accept it says, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Wow, I, if, you, if you notice the Bible standards are pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. Complete unity, as, though, as the Father and the Son are one, and per, uh, you're, you're suddenly like, wow, there's standards here. Like, wow, high. And it says that's what we're to be shooting for. And there's more. You want to hear it more? Yeah. <laughs> in Ephesians 4, see, here's what it is. You see what you're looking for, and then if you're not looking for it, you don't see it. So that's why we do this. And by the way, that's why I put the scriptures up there, because I could stand here and read, you know, from a book and just read it to you. But I know this, people would go, I wonder what version of the Bible he's reading out of. <laughs> so I just put it on screen so you can see that I'm reading it genuinely and you can see it for yourself, okay? In Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13, it says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip his people for works of service. So right there we have our, our responsibility as pastors is to be equipping you. Okay? So that changes how we even present our topics and, and what we preach on. Okay? Now, no, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach what? Have you ever noticed that word just keeps popping up? The purpose is to prevent us from from getting into factions and to present and to teach and to preach so that there's unity around what we say we believe and what we practice. Okay? Reach in, in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. So maturity is having the ability to, listen to me, to create unity. So if, if a person is not willing or, un, or is, is resistant. And I'm not talking about forcing people. I'm talking about taking the time to learn, to grow, and understand that, oh, I just learned something I did not know. Rather than getting all defensive that it's my way or the highway, okay? It says here maturity is the ability to build unity, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we see here that the, it's the fact that we avoid the topic of the Holy Spirit because it's so divisive. That may be the thing that's killing us. Amen. Stripping our witness, hurting us from having the impact because the world goes, man, you can't even agree on something you guys say is basic. And you're, all, you're divided all over the place on this topic. So let's look at this a little further. You notice I'm still in the introduction. I got, I, I got a bunch of points to give you today, so stop interrupting me. So, <laughs> anyway, 
I thought of this and said, you know, I haven't said this in a few weeks, so I thought I'd put it up there for you. Everybody read it out loud. Text. Yeah. Text without context leaves pretext. And so uh, one of the things that I touched on a little earlier is this. So you, you need to get into the context of, of, of the Scripture. Why? Because without the context, you can get Scripture to go anywhere you want it to go. If you take it out of the context, you can just make that baby just twist and bend every, every direction. But one of the things that I, I've also noticed about speaking today is this. Today's preaching requires the ability to demonstrate how one arrived at truth before proclaiming truth. In other words, public speaking today requires more teaching about the process whereby one arrived at the conclusion. Does that make sense? In other words, don't tell me how you, don't tell me your conclusion, tell me how you got there. Tell me the process that led you to this particular outcome. And part of, that, part of the reason that that's necessary is this, is because we're, this is the most educated society, not only on planet Earth, it's the most educated society that's ever been in history. And so people have the ability to listen to you, and they're informed, and they are, have the ability to process. Hey, while you speak, people are pulling out phones and Googling some of the things that you say just to authenticate that those are the true facts. And at the very least, they go home, and, you know, and they'll watch it again, and they're Googling while they're watching. They're checking it out. So you are somewhat obligated. To, to give the process, which means this, we can't cover as much information as we used to because we're spending so much time in the process, like, here's how I know this is true. Everybody with me? Yeah. Now, the other thing I'm going to do today, I'm gonna, we got a lot of uh, people associated in this congregation with law enforcement and such and investigative work, and uh, I'm going to use one of their techniques this morning okay, to help you to understand, and one of those... Uh, as we look at the scriptures, and this is, the, this is how we go deep. We're going to use a technique that's actually familiar to you because law enforcement uses it, and it's this. They, they oftentimes, they do two things to solve a, a crime or to investigate. They do two things. Number one, what are the facts? Not a surprise, right? The second thing is this. They always build a timeline, Okay. And if you, I know you watch those CSI investigative shows and your murder mysteries and, you know, every law enforcement, they'll have a whiteboard and, you know, they'll have what happened in a time and who was present and then they'll draw a line and then they have the next factual event there and who was there and that timeline. So it's, it's not just facts, it's timeline. Why? Because without the timeline, you can manipulate the facts to fit a predetermined narrative. You can have people in places at certain times when they weren't there. So it's important to get the facts, but also the timeline, right? And then as you step back, if they get enough facts and they establish a, a good enough timeline, that alone will point to who probably committed the crime. That will do, that will do the proving. It'll prove for them because they'll say, all these people could not have done it. Because we have alibis, we have locations, we have this. But there's one person who has yet to provide us with the alibi. And usually that's how the show wraps up. Okay? I'm going to do a little of that today with the Bible because what you have to recognize is it's not just the facts. And I will say this. A lot of times people take the facts of the Bible and they don't take consideration the timeline. 
And as long as you are dealing just with the facts, you can, you can throw those things in any order that you want them to be, and it will create the narrative that you need it to be so that it fits what you've already decided. You got to put a timeline with it. And we're going to do that this morning. I can see some of you are absolutely riveted in solving. And that's good, right? Timeline and facts together, they don't conflict, they complement. Everybody with me? Yeah. Sorry. So here we go. We're still in the introduction. <laughs> so three things that are crucial for you to know as it relates to the, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. When, when Luke wrote the gospel of Luke the book of, and the book of Acts, Acts, it was important these three things. Number one, Luke had a close relationship with the apostle Paul. Luke wasn't writing something that Paul was unaware of, and Paul wasn't writing something that Luke was unaware of. They weren't just friends. They were close buddies of one another. The Bible tells us this. Colossians 4, verse 14. Our, Paul wrote, our dear friend Luke, the doctor. He doesn't call him a friend. He calls him a dear friend. See that? Close relationship. And this was written around 62 A.D. He also mentions him again in a book that we speak about often here called Philemon. Just kidding. It's only like 20-some verses in it, right? One chapter. Philemon chapter 1, verse 24, and he says, and so do Mark, and he notices down there, he says, my fellow workers. So two things that this describes for us, again, 62 AD, we see that Paul and we see that Luke were, were not only very close friends, they were also co-workers. So they're close friends who are sharing in the work together. Everybody got that? So these are two guys who know each other well. Secondly, Luke wrote on the Holy Spirit five to eight years after the Apostle Paul's wrote, after the Apostle Paul wrote on the Holy Spirit. Most people think it was the other way around because it says Luke, Acts, Romans, and so we just assume it's all in chronological order. No, it's grouped by subject, not time. So I've heard people say this. Well, I know what Luke says in the book of in the Gospel of Luke and Acts, but then we have Paul. You know, Paul wrote his stuff, and he, you know, he kind of uh, yeah, when Luke wrote his stuff, it was it was that. But now we have Paul's writing, so we can move away from Luke because Paul went on to clarify better for us what Luke wrote about. And it's like you're wrong because you got it backwards. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians in about 55, 56 A.D. In Romans, he wrote around 57 A.D. Luke finally got around to writing between 60 to 63 A.D. What you have here is, this is key. Paul does not clarify Luke's writings. Luke clarifies Paul's writings. Mm. Oh, it's actually the other way around. Given the friendship, we know that Luke knew what Paul was writing. Here's the thing that's missing in the story or the writings of Paul. We have the theology, but you notice Paul never tells us a story. The narrative is missing. All, every, everything that, all theology is birthed in experience. What were the experiences that led to Paul writing what he wrote? And so Luke writes the narrative. Here's where this, he even goes so far back to tell you how Saul got, Saul later became Paul. He even goes back and says, you might want to even know how the guy got saved. 
It was by an act of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, getting knocked out of my saddle, going blind, and hearing a voice. I don't get you to start believing in the supernatural, right? So I'm just, I'm just saying. So you need, to, you need to understand this, that Luke is clarifying Paul's teaching. Because he never, Paul never gave the story of where all this came from. Luke provides it. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, he says, I can even show you the Holy Spirit's activity started with Jesus. It moves forward. Okay, so everybody got that? Okay. Number three, Luke's teaching on the Holy Spirit would have been evaluated, judged by the Old Testament. You realize the New Testament has not been written and recognized yet. Some portions have, but it hasn't been officially formed. So the only thing people had to judge Luke's writings were the Old Testament. So whatever they thought, whatever they were uh, absorbing or trying to discern whether this was true or not, they were accessing the Old Testament scriptures. So that tells us there must be answers in the Old Testament. Here's the problem. We find the Old Testament too hard, so we just quit. We say it's too hard. So we think because it's too hard, God gives us a pass. No, it just means you need to study more. It's kind of like your kids. When they come home and say, this teacher's ridiculous. Look at this homework. You know what you do as a parent? You never say, well, that's too hard. Just skip it. <laughs> well, what do I tell the teacher tomorrow? You tell them your mom and your dad said, we just said it was too hard. Just forget it. Oh, tell them to pass you anyway. I mean, no, no parent ever says that. Every parent says, well, I guess you're going to have to work at it a little harder. You're going to have to ask more questions. Yeah, but I got plans. And you go, well, it doesn't look like you got plans now. You know, I guess uh, I'm going to cut the TV time down, cut the social media down time. We're going to, you know, you're not going to be able to do all that. But just because you have to put more work into it than other people doesn't mean you get a pass. Amen. Amen. We just have to put in more work. Okay, so Paul writes this in 2 Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed. Let me just pause. You know he's referring to the Old Testament. The news not been completed yet. So I hear people say this all the time, oh, that's the Old Testament. We don't need anything to do with that today. We can just move on from there. Bless God. It's just a history book. Now we're in the new. We need to focus on the new. And I go, wow, you know, the Apostle Paul really strongly disagrees with you. And they go, what? I said, he says it's, it's God-breathed. And useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Um, Paul says it's still breathing. Yes. Yes, yes. Still living. It's not just a book. It's still alive. Okay, so we've got to put a little more effort into it. So we have to be a little more studious. Okay. I will acknowledge, I will, I will tell you, because of time and distances of culture, it is more difficult. I understand that. But that doesn't say, well, I don't have to deal with it anymore. So, now we're going to get to my points. You ready? That was all introduction stuff today. Okay. So, number one, everybody read this out loud. The Old Testament prophesied a new dimension of the Holy Spirit was coming. So, when they were speaking in tongues in the book of Acts, it says the people on the street heard it. And I am not paraphrasing this. They accused them while speaking in tongues of being drunk. Nothing will kill a move of God 
than being accused of being drunk. And Peter stands up and says, no, that's not what's going on. This is where we pick it up. No, saying no, they're not drunk. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Notice all he has is the Old Testament to refer to. Okay? In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Pause. That's, that's the key point right here. Because the Jewish people wanted to say it was their God, their anointing, their spirit, and the rest of the world can go to hell. You have a story in the Old Testament that epitomizes their attitudes, a guy named Jonah. Okay? Jonah was called to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. God says, I want to give these pagan people a chance to repent. Well, they weren't Jewish, and so Jonah was not for even giving them a chance to repent. So he took off. And after a whale of an experience, <laughs> under fishy circumstances, that's just to see if you're listening. He was convinced that he needed to go and preach the gospel. They repented. And his response, he got depressed because he didn't want them to turn. He wanted them to burn. Okay? That, pit, that, that exemplifies the attitude of the Jews. We just want to, we, we are God's people. They have been mean to us, and we want retribution. Let them burn. And it says here, all people, and notice this. He also says it's multi-generational. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women. God says, I'm through with your division of the men and the women at the temple. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I mean, he, he was basically taking the gloves off saying this is a whole new day. You haven't seen, you, yeah, there's teaching on the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, but he said there is a day coming that goes far and above and beyond what you have ever seen. Yeah. All people. Secondly, we read this, read it out loud. Jesus commanded his followers to ask for the Holy Spirit. Let me put it this way. Oftentimes you hear people say today in disagreeing or distancing themselves from teachings on the Holy Spirit. They will use this, and, and, and it's, it's sincere, okay? So I'm not here to mock, I'm not here to put down. They will say, listen, I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Isn't that good enough? I go, for salvation, yes. But now we're a servant. Now we're to represent him. And here's what you have. In this context, Jesus is teaching on prayer. In the same chapter in Luke, he has done the Lord's Prayer. It's in the earlier part of chapter 11. The teaching progresses. Now, I want you to recognize something here. The disciples have Jesus. He's right there. They are doing the miraculous with Jesus. Jesus is not only doing the miraculous, he is sharing that with them. Later on, it says they went out two by two, and they saw the miraculous and all those kinds of things. And this is crucial that you catch this. They have Jesus, right? And Jesus says there's more. The Holy Spirit. 
well, how can, I, how can there be more if Jesus is like literally standing in front of me? And I'm, I'm watching the miraculous happen. And Jesus says, but there's more. Well, then the discussion goes to, well, how do I know it's the real deal? Here's Jesus' answer. Which of you fathers, if you ask, your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus said, in this arena, it's sacred. You ask for the Holy Spirit. I will not let counterfeit come in. You know, you don't find too much of that in the Bible. But he says, this is, this is holy ground. You ask for the Holy Spirit. He says, listen, you would never con your kids, and you're evil. And you wouldn't con your kids. You think I'm going to let my kids be con? You ask for it. I'll give it. It's not fake. It's not manipulative. And again, I want you to Get this in your brain. They have Jesus. And Jesus says there's more. How many times have you ever said, well, Jesus is everything. Jesus would go, mm, yeah, but there's also the Holy Spirit. See, there's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. See, if I said that, Without scriptural reference, you would go, you're introducing, and I'd say, whoa, 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 I just read it. Yes. Yes. Okay, I just read it. Jesus said there's more than just him. There's the Holy Spirit. And see, but it says they're in perfect unity. So in essence, I'm just getting a greater dimension of who Jesus is, but in getting a greater dimension of Jesus, I'm going to get a greater dimension of the Holy Spirit, which gives me a greater dimension of the Father. Why? Because the three are one. Right? All right, I'm having fun today. Here we go. Notice this in Acts chapter. It's so important. So Jesus said, you need to ask for it. Notice what he says here. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. He said, I don't even want you guys leaving Jerusalem without this. Wow. Jesus said, this is so. Again, you notice he's, he's there in the flesh when he's talking to them. And he says... I know you have me, I'm here, but I'm telling you, don't leave Jerusalem until you've received the Holy Spirit. We would want to go, yeah, but I got you. And Jesus would say, and you need the Holy Spirit too. Do not make it either or. It's both. All right, number three, read it out loud. The gift of the Holy Spirit, Luke, versus the gifts of the Spirit, Apostle Paul. This is where confusion comes in. People will say, well, Paul says this, and Luke says this, and unfortunately, the timeline often is confused, and so hopefully I've helped you to see that it's the other way around, okay? Now, terminology is key here, okay? We're doing investigative work. 
Just like a detective. I heard you say, and they'll pull up the notes or they'll replay the recording because that's how you trip people up. You go, wait a minute, you said a while ago this, now you're saying this. And so, so we want to look at the verbiages that they use because, again, they are friends with each other. They are well aware of what each one is doing. So they, especially Luke, has the ability to copy Paul, but he didn't. How many know it's nice to know that the apostles didn't practice plagiarism? <laughs> yeah. So, it's the, he says, now, here's the verbiages of Luke. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. So Luke is writing this. Notice the verbiages he'll be using. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the what? Everybody see, see that singular gift? He doesn't say wait for the gifts. He said wait for the gift. Everybody got it? Please say amen. Amen. Okay, you got it, right? A little investigative. See, I'm doing this because I know there are people who go, if this is real, I'd like to know. But, you know, you got to do more than just throw information at me and say, just believe God. Okay, there's a point in time to say that. But we need the ability to go, I now know that's of God. That's different when I can go, I know that I know. And I'm just sharing with you. People say, how can you be so confident and say those things? Because I've done the homework. Doing the homework helps you to be confident. I believe in the same thing. Help people do their homework. Don't bang them over the head with it. Okay. So everybody sees Luke uses the word, the gift. Everybody see that? Then you come into Acts chapter 2, and he says the same thing. He says, God will pour out my spirit on all people, okay? At the end, he says, pour out my spirit in those days. So again, we see that this gift is for everybody. Everybody got it? Then we come after this speech. The the people that are listening have some commentary towards what he's saying, and then this is Peter's response to what they're saying. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, this is key. Notice they have a religious background because they call them brothers. So these are people who are orientated. They feel like they have a, a, a walk with God. Okay, they said, brothers, what shall we do? Because they saw what was happening and they know that they're not experiencing something that God is giving. And Peter replied, repent, be baptized, every one of you. And the key phrase here is in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. They were seeking forgiveness of sins. That's why they're even Jerusalem to begin with. It's the Feast of Pentecost. It's the fact that they wouldn't seek forgiveness of sins through Jesus. And he's saying, if you want what we have, you got to take the Son, because the Son is a part of the Holy Spirit. You reject the Son, you don't get the Spirit. That's what he's telling them. In other words, for you to experience this dimension of God that you knew was prophesied, and now you're seeing it fulfilled, the gateway, the doorway is Jesus. It's not just forgiveness of sins. It is forgiveness of your sins in the name of Jesus. You have to come off the fence about who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. And he's, now notice what he says. 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice the word gift, not, sing, not plural. Everybody see it? It says gift. Keep saying it. Gift, gift, gift. Okay, so now we come to what, what does Paul call it? Well, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, 4, there are different kinds of gifts. So Luke is writing about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul is writing about the gifts that come from the gift of the Spirit. Everybody got me? Please tell me I did not lose you in that. Luke writes about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes about the gifts of the Spirit that come from the gift. Everybody nod, yay? Okay. So he says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Notice that he says it's one Spirit, different gifts, same Spirit. He then jumps down to chapter th- or verse 13. For we were all baptized by what? So as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles. See, that's the part everybody back then didn't like. All those Gentiles. When when is it just going to be us Jews? Never. (laughs) Slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Everyone in this room. There's one spirit that God wants us all to drink. Ooh. Is everybody starting to see this? Jesus said, I know you have me, but there's more. And Luke unfolds the story. Paul develops that theology even more. And it takes us all the way back to this. Let me read it. The Holy Spirit's main purpose is to empower our witness. Unfortunately, the Holy Spirit has been highlighted in its importance in other arenas. It's more for this. It's more for that. Listen, I understand the benefits of the Holy Spirit are multidimensional, but the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to change our witness. Okay? Too many people use the Holy Spirit to have a powerful service, and then they leave the building and go live like a heathen. No impact, no witness. But by golly, they had a hot Sunday. (laughs) See, that's what, I I have a thing in my office at home. It's a plaque. Ready to hear it? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. (laughs) Some of you went, huh? (laughs) The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And what's that? The Holy Spirit changes us as a witness. Why is that so important? Well, because we have to go back to the context, okay, of the scriptures that were being written. And the musicians, if you guys want to make your way, okay? The Bible even teaches that we need to be refilled on the Holy Spirit. What? I get baptized in the Holy Spirit? Yeah, you, you need consistent touching points with the Holy Spirit. After Acts chapter 2, when they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in other tongues, they were hauled in front of courts and they were chastised and they were threatened. Stop preaching in Jesus' name or else. And it says they went back to the house. 
And this is what they did. Acts 4, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Do you realize these are people who have already been baptized in the Holy Spirit? What happens? Over a period of time, we begin to lose our courage. We begin to lose our nerve. I was bold six months ago. But maybe took a lot of hits in life. And I don't have the courage of six months ago. I need Jesus to reinvigorate my courage today. That comes from the Holy Spirit. I don't want a one-time experience with the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit to touch my life any day that I need more of Him. These same people went back to the prayer meeting and said, we need more of the Holy Spirit because we all know that they mean what they said, stop teaching in Jesus. We all know what that means. We're out of the world of hypothesis and what they might do. We already know what these people do. If we walk out of here and preach Jesus, and we need to do it, but we're going to have to have Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, give us more courage. Because now we do know the consequence. So in Luke's context, it was needed to face the power of Rome and the power of a corrupt religious judicial system. Why did they need power to be a witness? Because when you face the might of a, of a pagan Rome and a corrupt judicial and religious system, remember they took a perfect guy and figured out a way to condemn him to death. And he was innocent in every way. That's the epitome of corruption. Just because it's hard didn't mean they got a pass. And then you have what Paul wrote about the Holy Spirit. Most of his teachings on the Holy Spirit are in Corinthians and Romans. It's worth noting the audience that he's writing to because in Paul's context, it was needed to face the power of Rome. Rome was a sick culture. If you go to Romans chapter 1, you can read about it. I read it a couple weeks ago. It has every form of depravity listed. If you're going to be a witness in Rome with that kind of depravity in your face, you better have some power on the inside to deal with it. Then you come to Corinth, which was the, was the worst that Rome had to offer. They had a phrase that when your morals became so decrepit and decadent and low, they would say, you're so bad, you've been Corinthianized. And Paul wrote most of his Holy Spirit teaching while in Corinth. Why? Because you're going to live in Corinth, you better have the power of the Holy Spirit. Because every demonic force has been unleashed in Corinth. And it's going to take more than willpower to live for Jesus in Corinth. It's going to take more than willpower to live for Jesus in Rome. See, part of the reason the Holy Spirit's been dismissed is we haven't been put in a crisis where that was our only option. Does anybody want to look around and say we might be getting close? We just might be running out of options. The power of the Holy Spirit is, listen, you need the power of the Holy Spirit because what's waiting on you Monday and Wednesday and Friday, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to deal with it. It's the only way, listen, you aren't going to win this through elections. You're going to win this 
You got to win the hearts and minds of people. And the Holy Spirit can do it. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Would you do that this morning? And here's how we're going to wrap this up. They're singing a song. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. We're going to take a few minutes. I know I'm running over. I'll pay you back some other way. So I'm banking some time here. But first of all, God's not going to give you something you're not asking for. I want you to tune everybody. Listen, I'm not going to do anything goofy. I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. I'm not going to make anybody do something against their will. As we sing this, I want you just to shut everything out around you. And I want you to think about what you're saying and make this song your testimony, your request. Come on, as we sing it, lift your hands. Come on, all over this place. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. Come on, all over. Lift your hands. Sing it. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence. Come on, one more time. Holy Come on. Make it a prayer. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence. Listen. We're going to take a window here of like we do in, in, in passionate core prayer during worship where Pastor Malik says, everybody lift your voice and I'm going to ask you to do that. You know, if everybody lifts their voice, nobody's got time to pay attention to what the guy next to him saying or if they're listening. I want you to open your mouth and ask God, wherever I'm at in this dimension of the Holy Spirit, take me to the next dimension, wherever I'm at. Listen, I rarely rarely share about my private walk with Jesus just for the sake of I would never want to use my walk as a grandstand but four o'clock this morning I woke up and as I woke up I was praying for this today I woke up at 4 a.m. and literally as my eyes opened up I said please God let them know this is real and I laid there for like 30 minutes just saying, God, I know it's real, but they got to know it's more than just rhetoric or a preacher who has to say these things because of whatever is that. God, I really believe this. Let them know it's real. So come on for about a minute. Would you just lift your hands? Everybody, just open up your mouth and just say, God, I want more of whatever you got. Move me in greater dimensions. Give me faith. Give me trust. Open my heart. Open my mind. Come on, I'm going to shut off my mic and I'm going to ask him for my life. But come on, I want to tell you it's real. Ask for it right now.
sing it now. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, Lord. Listen, I'm going to say the blessing and we're going to wrap this up, but listen to me. Make it a point to ask Jesus every day for a greater dimension of the Holy Spirit to whatever degree you have it. Say, I want the next piece. I want the next part. He cannot give you what you're not asking for. If you want to be, if you say, not for me, God is a gentleman. He'll leave that alone. He's not about arm wrestling. He's not about mugging you. But you heard what he said in John. You ask, I will make sure you don't get a counterfeit. You ask, if you won't con your kids, I won't con mine. He'll give it. Everybody said amen. Come on, lift your hands as I say the blessing. I bless you in the name of the Lord. May he bless you in this city and in this county. May the fruit of your womb and the crops of your land, all your livestock be blessed. May he bless the work of your hands at home, at work, at church in this community. May he bless your coming and your going. May the Lord grant the enemies that rise up against you be defeated. When they come at you in one direction, let them flee from you in seven directions. May the Lord send a blessing on everything you put your hand to do. May he continue to establish you as his holy people. May all people see you've been called by the name of the Lord. May the Lord grant you prosperity, opening up the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty. May he bless the work of your hands. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody gave a shout of amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great day.